Hey everybody, it is Monday, February 3rd, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brad Isaac, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, we will unravel some of the announcements that were brought up during yesterday's Super Bowl commercial run. Uh, mainly, we're going to talk about uh, Kia, Hyundai, uh, perhaps touch on Audi, as well as General Motors. Uh, In the car culture segment, uh, some takeaways from the local auto show and a few cars that I had been curious about. Uh, One in particular, really surprising me in a way that I genuinely did not expect. And uh, yeah, some last minute thoughts about some used car shopping. So with all that in mind, guys, after the bump, we'll talk about some of the car news. Well, kicking things off in the news segment, we've got a lot to unravel from the Super Bowl. Uh, Some weird ads were done uh, by VAG. Porsche had one where they kind of talk about the Taycan and some of the other cool cars that they do. Uh, You know, is what it is. It's the art of motorsports, the art of racing. Uh, They still make wonderful cars, and the Taycan is, without a doubt, my choice for a midsize electric performance sedan. Uh, over at Audi, they talked a lot about the e-tron, uh, with their commercial with Maisie Williams, uh, really just trying to sell you on the idea that you should buy a car that is quiet, comfortable, and fuel efficient, or at least, at least in this case, electron efficient. Uh, but the truth of the matter, of course, is that an Audi e-tron is going to still run you $85,000 and only have 200 miles of range. I like the e-tron quite a bit, uh, but what this ad was targeting is still somewhat confusing. I think really in general, uh, they're putting the e-tron name out in front of people, uh, especially ahead of the new uh, Coupe e-tron Quattro, whatever they're calling it, um, e-tron Sport something. Basically, it's an Audi uh, S5 uh, sedan, but with like, you know, electric bits. Uh, it's going to be a cool car, but I think it's the e-tron branding uh, that really they're trying to sell uh, with this advertisement. Now, the big announcement was, of course, the splash from Genesis with the GV80. Uh, the GV80 also coincidentally had its launch for the U.S. market uh, this past week. And we got some more specific details about what the GV80 is. And I know I've talked about this SUV entirely too much on the show, but uh, it's an exciting vehicle and it's been a slow news season. Uh, Really what it boils down to with the American GV80 is that, well, it's pretty much the exact same as the Korean thing. So uh, one of the things that's included that I wasn't sure that we would get here are the amber turn signals on the side of the vehicle. Uh, It uses the kind of chrome lighting technology that the Genesis has where the lights are, looks like chrome on the side of the car. And then when you turn on an indicator, they actually flash yellow. Uh, It's a really cool design uh, thing that I really, really like quite a bit. Uh, So I'm excited that that made the jump across the Pacific to the United States. Uh, And another interesting design detail that uh, I learned about as I was watching uh, them talk about it on TFL earlier today, is that uh, the Genesis logo, so it's got the shield, and it's got the wings on the side, and the wings have these two lines that are in them on either side of the crest. Uh, that's going to be the new design language for Genesis going forward. So the large grills are going to represent the shield uh, for the crest there, and then the wings with the two lines are going to be uh, illustrated with the lights, with the turn indicators on the side of the car. Those would be those yellow things I was just talking about. Uh, Two line creases down the side of the vehicle and then the taillights also having two lines done through them. Uh, It's a really neat design concept that seems way too simple and yet is really good looking. Uh, And I think that's really the key takeaway here is that the GV80 is fantastic when it comes to looks. Uh, it's an appropriate size. Uh, it's got the appropriate amount of power, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, the luxury standards in this thing are really quite good. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, very excited. Uh, so what things did we learn otherwise about the GV80? Uh, well, the main takeaway here is that the GV80 is going to start at a pretty affordable price and it is going to be a sensible step up above the Palisade uh, where this thing will take over. Uh, The GV80 of course is a rear wheel drive architecture, very different than the front wheel drive based one for the Palisade. Uh, As such the GV80 is only slightly larger than a Palisade so it's enough to go up against like a BMW X5 or Mercedes-Benz GLE 
not quite enough for like a GMC uh, Yukon, but it's going to sit in a similar part of the market. Uh, so all said, you're going to look at about $50,000 to start for a baseline Genesis GV80 with rear-wheel drive and a 2.5-liter inline-four. Uh, that 2.5-liter inline-four uh, is turbocharged. It is sourced from the new Hyundai Sonata N-line. Uh, this engine is going to produce right around 300 horsepower, right around 300 pound-feet of torque, if memory serves correct. Uh, all said, you know, it's going to be fuel-efficient. It's going to be sufficiently powerful. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a pretty common engine choice for a lot of folks. Uh, you will be able to option that engine with rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, and it will route its power through a standard eight-speed automatic transmission. Uh, the GV80 can also be configured to have a new 3.5 liter twin turbocharged V6. Uh, it's not entirely clear if this is an all-new corporate design or if this is a uh, board up or stroked up version of the 3.3 liter turbo. Uh, I don't remember reading any confirmations either way. Uh, nevertheless, this engine is going to produce significantly more power. Uh, I think it's knocking on the door of 400, if I remember right, or maybe just above. Uh, Probably going to be a pretty common choice in more uh, affluent areas of the country, uh, but maybe not going to be the main thing that they're going to sell for the most part. Uh, car and driver was saying that full tilt, every option box ticked. You're looking at about $65,000 uh, for a fully loaded GV80, which is an absolute steal compared to a lot of other vehicles in its class. Because you do have to remember, of course, even at the baseline $50,000 mark, uh, you're going to get a lot more standard equipment than you will in any BMW, Audi, Mercedes-Benz, even Cadillac. Uh, this thing is going to kill it in the marketplace. I'm really excited to see one in person. Uh, I'm more than happy to drive one uh, at any point in time, but uh, this thing is the bee's knees, in my opinion. One, uh, two other things, I guess, that are kind of important to talk about with the GV80. Uh, the third row seat uh, is an option in the truck. It's not standard. Uh, as such, the option box to like ticket i don't know i don't know why anybody would it just seems like this suv would be much better as a two row uh option than a three row one but i know there are families who want that extra space who want that extra capability uh but i just go why waste the money don't don't tick the thousand whatever dollar option box that it's going to be to get those rear seats because it just it's never going to get used. Uh, and then last up, uh, wheel sizes. Standard wheels, it sounds like, are 20s. They can be optioned up to a 22. That's for those Bentley-styled wheels that uh, look absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, the hard part with Honda and Kia, I always feel, is that the base wheels are never quite enough, but the optional wheels are always quite good. Uh, so they do force you to spend more money to get the good look. But uh, I think with the Genesis, it might definitely be worth it, even though you will sacrifice some ride quality uh, and NVH uh, levels. So yeah, all said, uh, this thing's going to go on sale this summer, so I'm sure we'll see a lot more of it as it comes closer to uh, fruition. Now the last big vehicle, and I shouldn't really say big because it's not actually physically large, uh, to be announced and at least promoted during the Super Bowl was the all-new Kia Seltos. Uh, the Seltos had some ads we were talking about, you know, being homeless, working hard, yada, yada, yada. Great. That's wonderful. But, uh, you know, the vehicle itself is uh, likely going to be a hot seller for Kia. Uh, the key takeaway here is that the Seltos was originally developed for the Southeast Asian market. Uh, it is not part of the kissing, kissing Cousin group that the Kona, and I'm forgetting the name of the vehicle in the UK, is uh, they sell like two different versions of the vehicles over in Europe, and we don't get the Kia version here. Uh, this one is slightly larger than the Kona and not based on the same chassis, um, but is going to sell for a relatively similar price. Uh, Kia However, when they use the word similar, they mean a little more expensive. Uh, the Seltos is meant to be a much more comfortable, uh, much more premium option compared to the Kona, but a little bit less than the Tucson. I don't know. It's a weird way that they do the, the mix of vehicles in the Kia lineup. Uh, but the new Seltos is going to start at just over $23,000 with Destination. That's going to be for a base trim stripper model with all-wheel drive. 
uh, which is a pretty interesting choice that Kia has made here, making a base trim available with all-wheel drive and not front-wheel drive uh, as standard. Now, you can get an up-level model with front-wheel drive uh, that is exactly the same price that does come with a lot more standard features, uh, but really the full fat of what you're going to want. Leatherette seats, heated or heated leatherette seats uh you know full infotainment suite sunroof yada 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 you're looking at the ex all-wheel drive uh the ex all-wheel drive is going to run you about twenty six and a half thousand dollars uh and really honestly i'm guessing that kia is going to sell quite a few of those at that price point uh, that's not to necessarily say that uh, it will be the hottest seller because I'm sure they're going to want to sell you a fully trimmed Turbo SX model, which is knocking on the door of 30 grand. But at 26.5, uh, with all of those basic features that are quite good, uh, I think it's really genuinely the way to go. Uh, the only option I think that's really missing on that level is like automatic cruise control. But then again, you know, it's not the most sought after thing by every single person out there. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what happens with the Seltos, uh, once it hits the market. It seems like a very logical next step away from a Kona, uh, in the way that it's kind of surprising that neither Kia nor Hyundai have had a vehicle in that kind of slot, uh, but at the same time, you know, they're going to make a killing on these things. Uh, this is the only way that we're going to still have, you know, $20,000 Kia Forte sedans that are so well equipped is selling quite a few of these for a couple grand more. Uh, it just really speaks volumes to the way that, you know, Hyundai and Kia are doing this kind of design work, this engineering, uh, pricing these things correctly. Uh, and, you know, here's the truth of the matter, too. March out a year from now, because these are now hitting dealer lots as we speak. Uh, March out, not even a year, six months from now, there's a good chance that the Seltos is going to have some level of incentivized pricing on it. You're going to be able to knock, you know, two grand off the top uh, from some dealers. And if you're able to get a, you know, pretty well equipped out the box standard EX all wheel drive model for 24 grand, maybe even 23 grand, so all side with taxes, you know, 25, 26 grand, same as what the MSRP would have been. I think you're getting a fantastic deal uh, and, you know, not optioning for the turbo motor. Uh, you're going to have something that's going to probably be a little more reliable, good bit more fuel efficient. Uh, I think that's definitely the way to go. So pretty excited to see what these look like going forward. Now, as far as any other news that's kind of going on right now, there's some other stories that kind of caught my eyes. I was browsing things this morning. Uh, a lot of test mules driving around over in the Detroit area for the updated Chrysler uh, Pacifica. Uh, if you don't quite recall, this Pacifica brand has now been split between two uh, types of vehicles. There's the baseline Voyager uh, that is meant to be a price conscious, uh, almost more of like a fleet ready version of the Pacifica. Uh, really no exterior changes that are super significant. Uh, there are some decontented versions in the uh, car where like it doesn't come with leather seats anymore. Uh, you lose some overall features and niceties. I think you lose some stow and go capability too on one of the trim levels, uh, but the LXI continues to be uh, the fancier version for fleets. Uh, versus the Pacifica, which is going to be moving up market slightly more. Um, it's like a couple thousand dollar price difference between the two. It's really weird. But the new Pacifica, updated Pacifica, I should say, it's going to have a new front fascia. It's going to get more in line with uh, some new corporate design decisions for Chrysler. Probably going to have some updated powertrain stuff. There's a good chance we're going to see an updated uh, powertrain in the Pacifica Hybrid um, that might have a little more range. Uh, but this is all stuff that we probably won't see until... Maybe the Detroit show, New York or Detroit show at the absolute earliest. I doubt we're going to see anything uh, in Chicago next week. And then one other little teeny tiny bit of news that uh, I caught wind of today is that it sounds like because of Brexit, BMW does not have any plans as of right now to develop a new Mini uh, to sell anywhere in the world outside of the SE model. <coughs> The SE model, of course, is the new electric Mini Cooper uh, that we're going to get here in the U.S. And the I think it's going to be the summertime. Uh, Europe and Asia are going to get it a little bit sooner. Uh, but the SE is going to be the last new Mini for a while. And that is because 
these cars are built in Great Britain, and if they do not have tariffs in place or appropriate trade negotiations in place, uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to build these vehicles in the UK and export them to Europe, to Asia, to America, to wherever else they have to go. Uh, so as it is right now, there are no plans to develop a new Mini for quite some time. Uh, I think the other kind of part of that is maybe I'm put going out on a limb a little bit, is that they want to see how well the SE does in the marketplace. Uh, part of me wonders to some extent if BMW is going to be investing this kind of money, this kind of time, this kind of effort into the electric vehicle program. What would it take for them to kind of roll the I BMW i model bits and bobs into the Mini Cooper lineup and use that as a test bed for that instead of using the BMW branding. It seems like something that would be relatively easy to do, something that would be somewhat interesting to accomplish, but, you know, I'm not 100% sure either. So we'll see what happens there. A little bit disappointing. But uh, anyway, after the uh, little bump here in between sections, we'll talk a bit about the car show here in Grand Rapids over this past weekend and uh, some of the stuff going into Chicago next week. So this past weekend, we had our local regional auto show in Grand Rapids. Uh, traditionally, it had been a direct follow-up to uh, the Detroit show where you would get some of the new cars that would debut in Detroit would end up finding their way to Grand Rapids on their way to Chicago. Uh, it was normally just a nice little break in between Detroit and Chicago auto shows here for us in Michigan where we were kind of caught in the halfway point. Uh, nevertheless, this year's show was without a doubt, one of the worst in recent memory, and I think, honestly, one of the worst car shows I've been to uh, since the early 2000s. Uh, this show lacked really any bit of excitement. Uh, it really lacked a lot of the core models uh, <laughs> that you think a lot of brands would want to show off. It was incredibly awkward walking through some car companies booths where it was all crossovers and SUVs and no cars. Uh, one of the big things that we ran into first and we looked at the most was the all-new Ford Escape. Uh, the new Ford Escape, of course, is meant to kind of replace both the Focus and the Fusion and the Ford lineup as we speak. Uh, and as such, you know, the, the new Focus is appropriately sized. It is a little bit shorter than the outgoing one. Uh, it is a little bit wider. Uh, overall, you know, not ridiculously huge, but nevertheless, not as small as what a Focus would have been either. Uh, I came away, you know, relatively impressed with the new Escape overall. Uh, it is, I would say, appropriately appointed is maybe a good way to put it. As in, like, as somebody who owned a previous generation Ford model, uh, I can see the evolution from where my car went in terms of look and style and material quality to where they're at now. Uh, there is plenty of soft touch rubber and plastic uh, scattered throughout the dash, but there's also still a lot of hard touch, clanky, brittle plastic that isn't particularly nice. Uh, the particular model that we looked at the hardest and the closest was an SE hybrid, uh, the Sport Hybrid, uh, which came uh, equipped in a way that was really attractive. It was in this bright blue color, it had this lovely gray interior, uh, with this like uh, textured fabric on the uh, inset of the seats. Uh, one of the first comments that uh, my significant other made when looking at it is, wow, those seats are gonna be really hard to clean if you spill something. And uh, I don't think I ever would have thought of that uh, if it wasn't for her saying something along those lines. Uh, but the seats were comfortable, if a bit flat, especially as somebody who needs a bit of a, uh, what do you wanna call it? Uh, back support. <laughs> I'm forgetting the full, the full, uh, fat word here. Um, but the, you know, the switches, the materials, they all feel pretty good. Uh, the shifter dial might take a little bit of getting used to for some people, but I think it could go pretty easily for me. Uh, I think where the problem really boils down to is the sticker shock and car and driver talked a lot about it in a recent article where, you know, these things equipped with 
content that is otherwise standard in any comparable Hyundai, Kia, or even Toyota and Honda, uh, you're priced, you know, five grand plus above what some of those other vehicles are. And it's because Ford is just assuming that dealers are going to be taking, you know, money off the top, uh, that you're going to be able to negotiate a lower price, that you're going to be able to eventually get this thing incentivized down to a reasonable level. And it just it's annoying, you know, and it's, it's again, you know, with this hybrid SE, you were looking at just over $30,000 and for 30 grand, $30,000, you know, you can get a pretty well-equipped Hyundai Santa Fe. You could get a fully maxed out, you know, well, I shouldn't say fully maxed out. You could get a pretty well-equipped, you know, slightly smaller Tucson, uh, or a Hyundai Kona. Like it's just, I don't know. It's all subjective of where you think your money is best spent. It's all subjective on what car company, what brand you trust most. You know, it doesn't help, of course, in the SE Sport Hybrid that it is a hybrid model, so it has a little bit more technology, definitely a lot more fuel efficiency compared to some other cars out there. Uh, But in the end, you know, the simple truth is... uh, It's very expensive for what it was. Would I drive one? Yes, absolutely. I think it would be pretty nice. Would I lease one? I don't think that's out of the question. Would I buy one? Probably not, because just by sitting in there and touching a lot of things and doing different things, uh, it really felt like this is a car that after a few years of use, you're really going to see a lot of wear and tear on the interior, and that's just not acceptable at $30,000. Now, as we march through the rest of the car show, we touched on a couple other things that I'm sure I've talked about on the show before. Uh, We talked about the new Chevy Blazer, or at least the updated Chevy Blazer. It does come with a new uh, 2-liter turbo engine option, which I think is probably the way to go between the 2.5 liter and the 3.6 liter V6. Um, not entirely clear how those option packages line up between everything at, uh, with that engine box checked, but uh, it still strikes me as the better value uh, compared to the other two engine options. Uh, but what we were remarking about is how they had a V6 RS on the thing. You know, it's marked up 50 plus thousand dollars uh, for, again, build quality, refinement, that really isn't that great in an SUV that's only slightly larger than an Acura RDX. And the RDX is, you know, starts at just under 50 grand, like dollar for dollar. Why, 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 why in the world would you get the Chevy over the Acura? Even if it is just slightly larger, the Acura is so much better of a deal. It's gonna be more reliable and it's gonna be worth more money long-term than the Chevy will. And it just, boggles my mind uh, that so many people were swarming over the Chevy and not checking out the Acura. We did also look at some other uh, Audis and other things. Uh, The e-tron was one I did want to see up close. Uh, It's only the second e-tron I've actually seen in person outside of a big auto show like the Chicago Auto Show. One of the things that really surprised me is how low the seating position is inside the car. I thought it would be much higher. Now, granted, the seats may have been positioned way, way lower than what it would normally be. Uh, But it overall felt like a vehicle that would be pretty comfortable for most people who are used to an Audi Q5, something along those lines. Uh, Really, you know, unremarkable in the way that many electric vehicles should be these days. Uh, But uh, it was... It was a car, I, I would say. I, I, it would take me a moment, I think, to get used to all of the touch screens on the center console. Uh, I think it would take a moment for me to get used to uh, some of the other features, bings and bongs that are in there that, uh, you know, as somebody who had a Ford Fiesta, it's, it's going to be quite a leap to look at something like that. Um, but I think really the main takeaway from the e-tron is, to the untrained eye, it doesn't look like anything. And I think that's the big problem with a lot of these. I shouldn't say a lot of these things. On the one hand, there's a lot to be said about buying an electric car that looks like a normal car. That's a good thing. But on the other hand, the e-tron looks so much like a Q5, which was parked right next to it, that nobody paid any attention to it. And that kind of sucks. So we'll see if Audi can, again, with that Super Bowl ad, draw more attention to the e-tron brand. But as of right now, they need to do a lot more to bring attention to this vehicle. Uh, now, one of the comparison things that I wanted to do most at the auto show, at least with my significant other, was talk about the Nissan Kicks, a vehicle with which I have reviewed on the show. I've talked about ad nauseum uh, <laughs> and show it off to her. She had seen one at a car show a while ago uh, and was too overwhelmed to really pay much attention to it. Uh, but it turned out she really liked the 
Nissan kicks quite a bit. Uh, the one that they had there was a fully loaded SR model, had pretty much every option box ticked, including some dealer installed extras like the roof rails, uh, multicolored roof, uh, a few other things that were here and there. So like all said, it was about 25 grand, give or take. Uh, Price a little bit higher than what I would probably get it at the, around the 23 or so to start. Uh, Nissan has kicked the price up on the kicks a little bit since it has launched. Uh, but really the main takeaway was that uh, she was very impressed with the amount of headroom and space that you had for the price, um, especially when you compare it to the Jeep Renegade that we had had for three years previous to that. Uh, you know, there really wasn't a significant sacrifice in overall space and room, but the fuel economy was still good. Uh, but losing in the all-wheel drive... Maybe it would take some getting used to, but, uh, you know, having had the Camry through most of this winter and not having a problem, uh, it seems like something like the Kicks would be worth looking into. Uh, really, one of the main selling points was just how nice the interior is. And again, I've said this before, uh, getting that leatherette interior with the heated seats, with a good infotainment system, it really goes a long way to make the car feel much nicer than what it actually is. Yes, some of the interior plastics, especially below the belt line, are not good on a $25,000 car, but that's the reason why you get all those other options on a $25,000 car, and it's still that cheap. So... Uh, the Kicks got a thumbs up of approval um, overall. One of the things that we did want to compare it to most was the new Hyundai Venue. Uh, they did have a Hyundai Venue denim edition uh, at this show. And the denim edition, of course, is the technically the top trim model uh, for the Hyundai Venue. Uh, it uses the special... Uh, leatherette and denim infused seats uh, it's kind of like a gray denim uh, it's got an interesting texture texture to them uh, but overall you know the vehicle is slightly smaller than the kicks not by much uh, it's got a much more square shape than the kicks which gives it again the feeling of having much more headroom especially in the rear seats uh, but there is a lot less space behind those rear seats compared to the kicks uh, that might be greatly missed uh, one of the things I think I do like better, though, in the venue is that the interior feels much more open, and that might have been because of some of the lighter materials used on the overall uh, vehicle. It had, like, this blue and gray uh, dashboard that looks really premium, uh, again, for the price point of around $23,000, dollars uh, Just like the Kicks, it's front-wheel drive only. It uses a 1.6-liter inline-four, uh, made it to a CVT automatic, uh, I mean, dollar for dollar, which way would I lean? I, you know, again, I don't know. I haven't driven a venue. I think that's really going to have to be the main thing is that I will have to drive a venue to be able to make an educated decision. Uh, I liked the kicks a lot when I drove it. If the venue is even, you know, 80% of that, uh, I think I would still be pretty happy. I think in the end, because of the way the infotainment system and the updated camera systems work in the venue compared to the kicks, I think I might get pulled away to the Hyundai overall, especially now that all Hyundais uh, purchased after, what is it, February 1st, 2020, include three years and 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. Uh, that is a fantastic deal. Uh, that might genuinely be the way to go. Uh, so, you know, sorry, Nissan. I like the kicks a lot, but the venue is definitely going to be a strong contender, and it's really splitting hairs between the two uh, to make the good decision. I think, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I, I think really what it would boil down to is, do you want the leatherette seats, or do you want the better, more modern infotainment features? And I honestly think I could go either way with both cars. So, We'll see what happens there. Uh, I did get to also take a closer look at the new Sonata. Uh, what a beautiful car in person. What a beautiful execution of a vehicle. Uh, I'm really excited to go take one of these for a drive sometime soon. Uh, these things are the bee's knees to me overall. Uh, just the same, uh, one of the things that was kind of mentioned to me by uh, my friend's dad who was there with us, uh, with those lights being how they are, uh, this thing in the form of an accident, even like a basic fender bender, uh, he was saying that it's probably going to cost you $1,200 just to fix like a cracked tail or excuse me, headlight. Uh, it's not the most friendly design to repairs. And uh, he was saying that he wouldn't be surprised to see things getting dumped in the next couple of years for high uh, repair costs. But, you know, 
you never really know what's going to happen until these things get out there uh, and some of those things start to get reported. Uh, trying to think if there's anything else really interesting. I did get to sit in one of the final Land Cruisers. Uh, what is it? The 200 series uh, here in the U.S. It was a Heritage Edition. It was white with bronze wheels. Uh, once again, you know, proof, solid proof that the uh, Toyota Land Cruiser is without a doubt uh, my favorite big SUV on sale in the United States. It is also without a doubt one of the most expensive. Uh, my friend was shocked that it cost $90,000. Uh, but, you know, my significant other got into it and she was blown away with the quality and refinement of that interior. Uh, she was really surprised by how nice it was. Uh, I mean, if I had 90 grand burning a hole in my pocket and I needed to buy something today, uh, a Land Cruiser would without a doubt be it. I don't know if I would have opted for the white with the bronze wheels. I think the black color is the way to go. Uh, but really overall, what an impressive vehicle. So glad that Toyota brought one to this auto show. Uh, it was just fantastic. Uh, we did also get to sit in the new Supra. What a weird seating position in that car, uh, to say the least. Uh, you're really down in it, smushed in. Uh, really, I found a hard time. I mean, they didn't have the car seats activated so I could get the best seating position. Uh, but I was kind of vision blocked by where the roof kind of comes down and how tall my torso is. Uh, I think I would have a hard time driving the car daily just because of the way that it's shaped. That being said, I still love the car to pieces. I would, I don't want to say die to own one, but, uh, man, what a cool car for the money. Uh, there's an obvious reason why they're selling well, at least for now. Um, but, uh, yeah, what a cool car to see in person and touch and feel. Uh, let's see if there's anything else that was kind of interesting to look at. Uh, I did get to see a Cadillac CT5 up close. Really, if you're familiar at all with any modern Cadillac these days, uh, it's going to be name of the game so far. I mean, it's GM parts bin stuff. Uh, it's a good looking car. It's a good sized car. I hate the name. They should have just kept calling it the CTS and left it at that. Uh, but hey, you know, the marketing team does what they does. So uh, the CT5 is pretty cool. I was disappointed they didn't bring a CT4 with them. Uh, weird that they didn't, uh, but they left the CT4 off the show to bring instead two XT6s. Whatever reason why they did that, uh, you know, it is what it is. I will have to say that at least in terms of the XT6, and the more I've been seeing these out on the road, the more I've been kind of thinking that I kind of like the XT6 in a weird way. Uh, the XT6 is a very well apportioned vehicle it's the right size it comes with a good bit of standard equipment uh i think the luxury trim is the way to go versus the sport one because i don't like the fake carbon fiber that's in the interior uh but overall you know it's a nice thing i think the problem with the xt6 and again, I, I know that I talk about this vehicle way too much in the show. It's it's that the Hyundai Palisade exists. Dollar for dollar, I just don't see a reason to pick an XT6 over a Hyundai Palisade, other than that you want a Cadillac-branded vehicle, or you got a really good GM discount, or something like that. It just didn't feel that much nicer than the Hyundai. Um, I don't think it looks that much better than the Hyundai. Uh, I don't know if it necessarily drives better, but I know that that 3.6 liter V6 is known to have some weird quirks to it compared to what's in the Hyundai, where I go, you know, I want something that's going to be able to run in 10 years. And the more than likely scenario at this point is that the Hyundai is going to be better after a decade of service versus the GM. And again, Hyundai is offering, you know, three years, 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance on the vehicle uh, versus GM, who only gives you your first service for free. And that includes Cadillacs. And that is pretty embarrassing at this point that that's where things have gotten to. Um, it just doesn't speak to value in any way, shape or form anymore. And that kind of sucks. Um, Let's see, what else, what else is uh, worth touching on? Oh, okay, so uh, last of the vehicles to kind of touch on, uh, they did have a uh, GMC Acadia AT4 there. Um, they did not have a GMC Terrain AT4. Uh, the Acadia AT4 in person looks really good. Like, uh, I get why this package is happening. You know, so many people are looking for this off-road lifestyle vehicle, uh, but rarely ever take their cars out to do this. Uh, this AT4 you know, trim, you know, it's adding those slightly more mud and snow capable wheels and tires. 
It blacks out the grill. It makes it look a little more aggressive. It looks really good on the Acadia. Would I buy an Acadia over a lot of other comparative things? Again, probably not, but it looks good. And GMC did a really good job. I also spent some time in a Terrain. Again, uh, the Terrain is one of the vehicles, and I know uh, we did a thing a while ago talking about midsize crossovers or small midsize crossovers, whatever you want to call it, uh, to shop for. I like the uh, Terrain quite a bit. It's one of a few GM products that are out there right now that I would, I don't want to necessarily say not hesitate buying, but I don't know if I would necessarily think twice about buying. Uh, the Terrain just it looks the part. It's got a pretty well-thought-out interior. Uh, I could deal with the GM build quality and stuff like that to have a pretty nice experience. You know, the interior is laid out well. It's got a lot of space in the back and the trunk because of its square shape. I like the push-button shifter thing. I know some people hate it, but I think it's fine. Uh, really, overall, you know, the train, I think the only thing it would be missing, at least for me, since I know that they're making an AT4 version of the train, uh, that just seems to be the way to go. Like, if I would just get an AT4 terrain, done. That's it. We're good to go. Uh, you know, my only big complaint about the car overall is it's got these plasticky buttons on the steering wheel. Uh, and I'm going to say these words. Toyota did them a while ago in the Prius and they get gross. Uh, and the plastic material just with like hand grease and other stuff and years worth of work. Uh, you know, the, the paint on the buttons rub off, they get sticky and weird. And I just, it, it just doesn't speak to quality in the way that actual physical buttons and switches do. And it disappoints me that GM went that way. I know that it quote unquote looks nicer, uh, at least to the eye from a distance, but, uh, in, in use, uh, it's just not for me. And that's the one thing that I think the terrain loses on, but everything else I think is a really nice vehicle and would be a way to go. But I mentioned at the top of the show, that there was a surprise at this auto show that really blew me away. There's actually two, uh, the big one overall, the thing that blew me away more than anything was the all new Buick Encore GX. Uh, what a surprise this vehicle was. Uh, first of all, because one, the outgoing Encore, it was fine. You know, it was whatever. It was nicer than the tracks, but it had a chassis that betrayed its luxurious elements. Uh, the new Encore GX is based on an all-new platform for GM. It was developed for the Chinese market, is being exported here to the U.S. as we speak. Uh, I don't think it's assembled in China, but the design is... Been, uh, I don't remember where they're building them. Nevertheless, it's basically a Chinese Buick that they're going to be selling here in the United States. And uh, it is an Encore-ish shape overall, uh, but it's got a longer chassis for more room both for the front and rear seat occupants. Uh, it's got a little more room in the trunk as well, uh, and it's got a lot of really interesting standard features that, you know, still make it a compelling purchase against a lot of other vehicles in its class. Uh, really what it boils down to is, I think, it's one of the best-looking cars in its class. Uh, no question about that. Uh, the interior appointments, at least in the uh, GX... T or ST, so it was the sport trim model that we were in, uh, looked and felt impressively good. Uh, you know, it has a lot of the Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, GM infotainment stuff that is, you know, competent, not the best in class, but, you know, pretty damn good. Uh, the seats were very comfortable. Uh, the interior was quiet. Uh, the power lift gate was actually somewhat fast. Uh, the rear seat room was more than adequate. Uh, I am really shocked by how much I like the Encore GX. Uh, so if you're out and about looking for a small, uh, mid-level luxury vehicle, uh, I think the Encore GX is definitely worth looking into because it's not oppressively sized. You know, it's not that much bigger than a Ford Escape. It's maybe about the same size, but overall, you know, it feels nice. And I think that's really something that goes a long way for most GM products these days is that feeling nice isn't always guaranteed. And this one does seem quite good for the price that it is. So again, blown away, not expecting that I would find a crossover so appealing, especially a Buick crossover, especially a Chinese market Buick. Uh, but this thing has it where it counts. And I definitely find that particularly interesting. Uh, just the same, as I kind of alluded to, I guess, in the first segment with the news, uh, they had a Kia Forte there. And the Kia Forte that they had, I think, was an S model? Maybe an SX? I can't remember what trim it was off the top of my head. Nevertheless, this car had 
all of the basics included. Add an automatic transmission, add a 7 or an 8 inch touchscreen with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, it had some active safety features, uh, you know, it had aluminum wheels, it had uh, a decent little bit of a kit to it on the outside. Uh, this Forte, you know, would be a perfectly acceptable car to any person looking for basic transportation out there. And it was $21,000 MSRP. I know, actually, no, it was under twenty one. It was just over $20,000 for the MSRP. Uh, again, blown away by the amount of car that you're getting for almost no money. Uh, because I think kind of the truth of where things are at today is that a $23,000 car is about where an $18,000 car was uh, the better part of a decade ago. Um, and, you know, it's that $18,000 car from a decade ago that was, you know, the same thing as a sixteen dollars or a $14,000 car a few years before that. It's that kind of, you know, starter vehicle price point. And for twenty grand, getting a car that big with that big of a trunk with all that standard safety equipment, with all those nice things, I mean, the only thing, the only thing that I go about this car where I go, I would want is heated seats. I've been spoiled by heated seats. It's the one thing that I demand in any new car that I own is heated seats. Uh, but for 20 grand, you know, I could probably let it go because this thing would be dependable. It would probably last the full 10 years of the warranty and not give you any trouble. Uh, I don't think Kia is doing the complimentary maintenance compared to Hyundai, but uh, in the end, you know, what a screen and good deal. Like I just, I'm blown away that Kia offers cars at that price. And it's it's really surprising uh, because also, not only that, because these cars don't sell particularly well, you're probably gonna get a couple grand off the top. The likelihood of you being able to get this Kia Forte in that trim for probably 16 grand is pretty high. <laughs> and uh, I, I would say check your local Kia dealer uh, if that's a price point that you're trying to get to because even used cars at 16 grand, you're not going to get anything quite as nice as this. And uh, I, I'm very, very impressed. But overall, at this car show, uh, it's a genuine, genuine feel of just a lack of interest. I mean, you know, the, the, Ford GT500 was there. Almost nobody was looking at it. They had the new Corvette C8 there. Uh, almost nobody was looking at it. It, it. it it really genuinely feels like people just don't care about good cars anymore. And it's disappointing. Uh, it's, it's underwhelming. And hopefully maybe with more new cars next year, it'll be more of a thing. But uh, yeah, there's just a, a glut of interesting new cars on sale today. And hopefully, you know, next year will be better. Maybe the Chicago Auto Show will bring some interesting things down the pipe. Uh, you know, definitely have plans to go to the Detroit Auto Show later this summer. But uh, yeah, kind of a disappointing note for this year's Grand Rapids Auto Show. So we'll see what happens next year. So last up in the car whatever section, I wanted to touch on a story that was published, I think, by Reuters, it was talked about in Jalopnik this morning, uh, that Nissan dealers across the United States are now resorting to selling used cars, CPO cars and used cars more than they are brand new Nissans because sales are that bad. Uh, and some of the dealerships that they talked about, they straight up said that their Nissan brands are no longer profitable. They're not making any money. Uh, basically they're just trying to kick these cars out the door, uh, for as low of a price as possible while still making some level of money. Um, mostly they're just breaking even uh, on a lot of these used cars that they're selling. Or sorry, not used cars, new cars that they're selling. And as such, a lot of Nissan dealers are beginning to carry fewer and fewer brand new models on their lot because, well, they're just not moving them the way that they want to. Or they're carrying models that are just, you know, quote-unquote volume sellers, as volume as they can get, um... Uh, yeah, it's a big mess. It, you know, uh, one of the things that they kind of touched on is that, you know, it's it's seeing the uh, seeing the forest, f not but not for the trees. Uh, is that how the phrase goes? Like, basically, you're looking at, you know, a lot of these Nissan dealers are trying to do whatever they can to stay afloat. And part of that is that by reducing their new car inventory and by selling more and more used cars and CPO vehicles, uh, they are turning a bigger profit. That is true. 
But at the same time, it's continuing to support the spiral of Nissan sales in the U.S. because they're carrying fewer and fewer of the vehicles that people actually want to buy. Uh, the argument from dealers is that the average age of a Nissan product in their portfolio is over five years in terms of when it debuted versus where it's at now. So the newest of the Nissans, of course, are the Sentra, the Versa, the Altima, and the Kicks. Everything else in their lineup is old as shit. Uh, and you know, is yeah, you can update the Titan. Yeah, you can update the Armada, uh, but they are older vehicles, generally speaking, that lack a lot of the significantly updated technology that people seem to want and expect in their new cars. Uh, just the same, the Murano is positively ancient. Same thing with the Pathfinder. Uh, it, it's embarrassing, and at those points, but you know, those both are nothing compared to the Frontier. That's been, I think, the same since two thousand and five seven somewhere around there uh you know bush was still president at that point uh when when uh this car this truck was brand new and uh you know nissan sells a lot of them they do they make a lot of money off each one but uh dealers are having a tough time selling it compared to a new ranger or a new colorado or canyon uh so they've got some work to do as a company and on the one hand you know I, uh, yeah, it, uh, God, it's just such a mess. And it's like, you know, you ask the question, Nissan, what do you need to do to turn things around? And maybe that's a rhetorical question for the market. What would people need to see from Nissan to get them to buy more Nissan products? And I think for me, the first thing is, you know, you hear all these complaints about CVTs, but then there's always their marks while, you know, Nissans are pretty good. But then you see the reliability marks for the CVTs and they're also not very good. And it becomes a cyclical thing where it's like, you know, maybe if they just put an automatic in their cars, like a regular traditional six, seven, eight speed, 10 speed automatic in their cars, they'd sell a lot better. And part of me wonders, you know, does Nissan just need to buy <laughs> a transmission from another car maker and put it in theirs and just call it good? Like, could they go to GM and say, hey, you've got that pretty good eight and nine speed automatic that you're putting in a lot of your cars and crossovers. Can we adapt that? To the Altima and whatever else. I don't, I don't know if that's even possible at any in any way, shape, or form, but uh, it seems like doing something like that would be a smart choice for Nissan moving forward. Uh, just the same, I think spending the money uh, on interior quality and development uh, would also go a long way. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think of uh, a YouTuber, uh, what is it? The Car Wizard. Yeah, he talks about how modern Nissans, you know, they're priced really well used compared to a Honda or a Toyota. <clears throat> and that's because, you know, they aren't engineered quite as well. So there's going to be a few more mechanical faults overall, especially with those CVTs. But like, you know, they're still going to be pretty good compared to like a Chevy or a Ford. But the thing he points out is that the interiors just do not hold up. They, they, they peel apart. They fall apart. They're just bad interiors. And ever since he mentioned that, you know, I've been noticing it more and more, especially as I look at used Leafs, where those cloth interiors get nasty uh, with any kind of regular use. And it really kind of boils down to if you're going to get a used Nissan, it better have leather seats. And if it doesn't have leather seats, you know, it's going to be even more gross after a couple years of you owning it. Uh, so car seat covers, things like that, they're all going to come in handy to keep that car together and in good shape. And it's really sad because I remember... You know, 10, 15 years ago, Nissan's had pretty good interiors compared to a similarly aged Toyota or Honda product. Uh, you know, it wasn't a world of difference, but, you know, it was close. And if anything, you know, the Altima had a very appealing interior layout compared to uh, a contemporary Camry, which I absolutely detested at that point in time. Uh, and it, I don't know, it speaks volumes to the way that Nissan, you know, they've got all these falling profits, they've got all of these falling, you know, targets, all of all of these things are bad, bad, bad. And they're talking more and more about how they've got to cut costs, they've got to cut costs, they've got to cut costs. It's the only way they're going to be able to turn a profit is they've got to cut costs. And if you're doing that, you know, you're only going to be seeing the baseline result of cost cutting, which is uh, you're going to end up selling a car that's much cheaper. Your margins are going to be that much thinner. You're 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 going to be whittling yourself down to the point where there's almost nothing left. And you know, I'm reminded of the previous company that I worked at, where we spent the better part of my three-year tenure 
looking at how to cut costs, cutting costs, cutting costs. That's all that mattered was cutting costs. Everything costs too much. We're not making any money. Uh, cut the costs more. Cut the costs more. And it got to the point where we cut costs so much that we couldn't provide a product that people actually wanted to purchase. We couldn't provide a product that set ourselves apart from other breweries and distilleries. And whether that was, you know, the packaging that we put it in, whether it was the way that it was packaged, whether it was the quality of the t-shirt, uh, the quality of the hat, uh, the quality of the service that the people who work there were providing. Uh, in the end, you know, it all kind of reflects on what you're doing because you look at a company like Hyundai and Kia who admittedly do control a large amount of the production for their vehicles uh, because they are a large tribal company in Korea, but they spend the time and the money and the energy to develop products that are competitive, that are above class in terms of quality and refinement, and they've turned their company around from these little teeny tiny shit boxes to top tier vehicles in, you know, the better part of 20 years. And it's incredible that a company is able to do that in that amount of time. And it's incredible that they are as profitable as they are because, you know, they do spend a lot of money doing this thing. But what it boils down to is you got to spend the money to make the money. And I hate, you know, using that baseline phrase because it is so much more than that. But Nissan just needs to make better cars if they want to fix the problem that they're in. And, you know, standing around and just screaming that the sky is falling isn't really going to fix things in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, God help them. Uh, I don't want to see Nissan fail. I don't want to see Mitsubishi fail. But uh, if they keep on doing this, they're going to end up just like Suzuki a couple years ago, and they're going to just disappear off the face of the earth. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast for Monday, February 3rd, 2020. As always, I'm your host, Brad Aslake, and you can follow along with me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N, and you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Uh, we kind of publish these once a week now because, uh, you know, that's where my life is at. It's a little bit easier to schedule time uh, to do these things. Uh, but, uh, yeah, as news comes out this week, if something big breaks, uh, I'll be sure to talk about uh, what's going on. I believe the Chicago Auto Show starts, uh, what is it, Sunday? Sunday or Monday next week? So I'm sure we will have lots of news and other interesting things to talk about over the coming days into next week. So uh, look forward to that. Uh, so yeah, appreciate you guys taking the time to listen today. Uh, if you guys like what you hear, make sure you subscribe, share it. Uh, if you think somebody else might like it, and if you're on a podcasting platform that asks for a rating, um, do so as well. I'd greatly appreciate it. So with that in mind, guys, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Have a fantastic week, and we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.